0: Good morning, I have a Bible with you, if you'd open to Luke chapter 2, and we'll begin about verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock. a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask you for your presence. Father, we ask that you would open this text to us this morning. Oh, Lord, that you would do a mighty work in each heart. That, Lord, we might behold you in all of your glory. That we might see the Son of God high and lifted up today. Father, we ask you to sanctify this time. Lord, we ask you to bring peace and settle the hearts of the children. Lord, we ask you to put our strong enemy to flight. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, and welcome to our guests this morning. We're we're glad that you are here with us. Well, last week we saw Mr. Law describe for us as the prophets, the many prophecies that were fulfilled as Christ came. And this morning, we're going to look at this passage in Luke and the shepherds and the angel coming to the shepherds. If you look at verse 8, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. We think of farming today as many, we have farmers in our midst. Farmer, farming is a is an honest profession. It's a great profession. But shepherds were not looked upon very favorably at this time in Israel. They were the lowly. They were the bottom of the food chain, so to speak. They were uneducated. They were unskilled. They were viewed as unsavory characters. In fact, the Pharisees didn't let them into the temple. The Pharisees, because of, not because of the law of God, but because of their man-made rules, they couldn't keep the Sabbath rules. So they were kept out. And yet Israel has many famous shepherds. Can you name a few? Who? David. David. Who else? Joseph. Joseph. In fact, Pharaoh, uh, you know, this is part of Joseph's uh, fear before Pharaoh, was bringing his father and his brothers to, to Egypt is they were all shepherds. Shepherds were despised by the Egyptians. And not only were they despised by the Egyptians, they were despised by the Pharisees. Moses was a shepherd, by the way. It's likely that they were devout men. We don't know that, but we see all of all of the characters that the angel the angels are visiting at this time to announce the birth of Christ. We think of Anna, we think of Simeon, we think of Zacharias, Joseph and Mary. Well the announcement of this birth, there's no they didn't hire a PR firm. Like the, the, you would announce the birth of a king or the announcement of a prince. Think of it, you know, where we, we still have kings and queens in, in the U.K. The announcement of a, of a prince that's going to be born who will one day be king. There was no gold-foiled announcement that went out in the mail. There was no tweet. And even if they had Twitter, they wouldn't have used it. Because it's an obscure birth. by God's design. James said, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? Saints the last are often first and the first last. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians one twenty one, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. But God comes the simple. Please God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. The angel plural or excuse me the angel singular comes to the shepherds plural, tending one flock. They're all together. Look at verse 9, and and behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were greatly afraid. This is one of the things that we see in scripture is that when angels come, usually the first reaction in man is fear. The angel often says, do not fear. Don't fear. And this is the case here. Don't fear. Because they're full of dread and terror. The shepherds encounter an angel, or rather an angel encounters them. And here's the proclamation. See, angels are messengers from God. There's a lot of bad theology around angels. Angels. Chris and I were, Mr. Law and I were discussing one this morning that, well, it wasn't bad theology, it's just a different idea. But angels were created by God. They're spiritual beings. They can be visible and they can be invisible. Sometimes they take on the appearance of a man. They, they're, they're gender neutral. They're neither male nor female. But when seen by, by men, it's often as a male. They don't reproduce. They have an intellect. They speak in multiple languages. They have emotions. They rejoice over sinners that repent. They have a will. They were created morally pure and remain so into perpetuity, distinct from the fallen angels. They're not bound by physical space like you and I. They're ageless and they're immortal. They're powerful. They cause blindness. They rescue people. They destroyed cities. And they glorify and they worship God. Now, sometimes we think we have a guardian angel. That was my guardian angel. Well, that scripture doesn't define it that way, okay? We don't likely have a guardian angel. It's more like if you're playing basketball, and rather than playing man to man defense, it's a zone defense, okay? And we know that God gives his angels charge over us to keep us. We pray that all the time in Psalm 91. That God would send his angels to guard us and keep us. And they do. And they're real. And there's myriads of them, which means 10,000. Myriads of times myriads. 10,000 times 10,000. How many? Many. What we see in scripture, there's 26 historical accounts... Where angels encounter humans. there's 10 in the Old Testament and there's 16 in the New Testament. Well, the glory of God falls, and it just, not only is the angel appear, but the glory of God is manifest around these shepherds. It's a distinct, glorious encounter with the, glorious, with the glory of God. The glory of God that had not been seen, really. It was seen in the tabernacle. It was seen with Moses, kind Shekinah glory. It was seen in the temple. And then it departed from the temple as Israel continued to sin. God withdrew his, his glory and his presence. And now it's made manifest. We'll see it again in the Mount of Transfiguration. The glory of God falls upon Christ. But this is a significant encounter. Imagine children. You're out. You're you're a shepherd. You're out in the field. It's just another night, and the sheep are all nice and settled, and you're maybe ready to get a little nap, or, and an angel appears, and the glory falls. About twenty years ago, Patty and I were. We lived in outside of Stevens Point. We lived in Amherst. About uh, a 10 mile, ten mile drive from from Stevens Point, and it was it was a winter night, and we were driving home. It was very dark, and I was in. We had the two cars, we had uh, the kids with us. We'd been somewhere, and I was in the front, and Patty was behind me, and we're almost to our turnoff, and we're we're coming down Highway 54, and I could still see it as clear as a, a green ball, just streaks across the sky and it was it was like right above the tree line and it was a monstrous green ball and had a long tail and I was like <laughs> I mean it was a meteor but typically you see something falling from the sky and this went right across the tree line and it was just screaming across the sky and I thought nobody's going to believe me <laughs> and we pulled in the driveway like five minutes later and I said Patty <laughs> Did you see that? Did you see that? Talk about the interruption of a quiet, dark night. I can imagine these shepherds going. <laughs> did, did, did you just see what I saw? Did, did that really happen? Was that really an angel? Was did the light really come down on us like that? It did. And it wasn't just that the angel appeared, but the angel had a message. And, and this, is, this is the point of the, of, of the whole sermon today, is, is the message that, that God sends through his messengers, a proclamation. And in verse 10, he, he said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings. In other words, I'm bringing you good news, great news, of great joy. Magos joy. Huge joy. Incredible joy, magnificent joy, joy like you've not known before, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. 4,000 years of spiritual darkness, 4,000 years of being separated from God is about to be rolled back. Prison doors are about to fly open. Man is about to be freed from his bondage to sin. This is not universalism when he says, I bring uh, to all people. Not saying that all are going to be saved, but to all kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free. All will have access to God. There's so many prophecies in Isaiah regarding the fact that, the, that the, the gospel, that the light, the glorious light would come not just to Israel, but to the Gentiles. In Isaiah 42, 6, an example, I, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison. Promise that was given in Genesis of a Redeemer is going to come to pass. God is about to reveal to us, to humans, He's about to reveal how He can be both just and the justifier. J.C. Ryle says His power was seen in creation. His justice was seen at the flood and now his mercy is going to be revealed at the coming of his son. This is not just good news, saints. This is the best news. Think about the best news you've ever received. Think about when the doctor calls and says it was, it's benign. You don't have to worry. Or think about... When one of your children calls and says, She said yes! Or it's a girl. Or it's a boy. Or we got the order. Or we won the game. This is way better news than any of that. There's even better news coming, isn't there? Christ saying on the cross, It's finished. That's even better news. Even better news coming for those that believe, well done. Or, son, go get your bride. There's more to come. But this, Saints, is great news. And it's today. The angels say, today, in the city of David, today is born to you a Savior, a Lord. David was from Bethlehem, you know. And Jesus was born in the city of David, about six miles south of Jerusalem. A Savior, the Greek word soter, a Savior. Why a savior? Why not just call him king or priest, but savior? In Matthew 121, she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Your greatest need is not that you have a great purpose in this life or that you have a wonderful life or a prosperous life here. Your greatest need is you need somebody to deliver you from your sins. Our greatest enemy is sin because with sin came death. Before sin, there was no death. A dear friend of mine died two weeks ago, passed away two weeks ago. We went to his funeral, and I was, was talking to Kathy Hartleb about it, and she was telling of a, a friend of theirs that had passed away. and The, the pastor, as he's giving the, the message at the funeral, and he was, I think his name was Rich, at, at Rich's funeral, he said, there's, The pastor said, There's many in this room who are dead. Rich isn't one of them. That's the natural state of man. He's dead. He died. You died. When Adam sinned, you died. We need a Redeemer. God promised a Redeemer. And now, today, today, see, God is revealing to them the solution to man's greatest need. The aged apostle John writes in 1 John 4.14, we have seen and testify. They testified with their own lives. Of course, they couldn't kill John. They killed everybody else. They martyred everybody else. But he said, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. He's given the name Savior because that was his mission. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He's the one. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the Christos. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. There will never be another. He's born as a man, as a baby. Don't miss this this morning. I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures. Don't don't get lost in it. But understand this. Why it's so important that the second person of the Trinity becomes a man, takes on human flesh. Galatians 4.4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. When God determined it, the son stepped out of eternity into space and time. This is the event in John 1:14, in the beginning in the beginning of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But then look at verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The second person of the Holy Trinity became flesh and dwelt among us. It didn't start. At Bethlehem. It started. In eternity past. He came from eternity. Begotten of the father. The eternal son of God. Has taken on himself. Human nature. A change in form only. That's a huge theological point. He had to take on the form of man to redeem us from the curse and penalty of the law. He had, God had to do it as a man. But we know that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man in one person. Look at Hebrews chapter two. If you have a Bible, The doctrine of the incarnation, incarnate man, the incarnate son of God. I want you to understand the significance of Christmas and the birth of the son and why we celebrate it. The writer of Hebrews, in in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, says, Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, and through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. To satisfy the justice of God. To satisfy the wrath of God, he had to bear as, a, as an atonement. He had to do it as a man. This is how he can be just and the justifier. Give you two more verses. Romans eight three. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. God... By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He became sin for you and me. That's why he had to come. As a man, to die in our place. Philippians 2 7. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. He had a full human nature. He got his human nature from Mary. Truly, he is the seed of Abraham. I had to just fall on my face yesterday in my study as I, as I understood why the angels, maybe millions of them, hundreds of thousands, we'll see in the next verse, worshiping God. It wasn't the baby. It was the second person of the Trinity taking on a human nature. Can you imagine anything more glorious? The promise of Genesis 3 being fulfilled. Enmity. Enmity between thy seed, Satan, and the seed of the woman. The man's on the side. This is why the virgin birth is so critical and so important. There's no man involved. It's between the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham. And this seed is going to crush the serpent's head and bring the promise of redemption to a waiting world. See, the angels knew him as the second person of the Godhead. Now as God incarnate. Now as God in the flesh. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.16. He says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. And these things are too big for us. Some of you can't believe. You know why? You don't believe the miracles because you can't get your brain around it. You know what Martin Lloyd-Jones said? He's one of the most brilliant theologians we've ever had. Before he became a theologian, by the way, he was a physician to the royal family. He's a a bit educated. He said you can't believe because you can't get your puny little mind around it. And yet we have the faith of a child to believe. Believe, All this happened that the world through Christ might be saved. He took on human nature at conception, by the way, not at birth. He was a real person inside Mary's womb. The Apostles' Creed, conceived by the Holy Ghost. How it happened, it's a mystery, and don't look too much into it. Let's just leave it at that. Because you won't figure it out and neither will I. And scripture isn't all that clear on it. It's a mystery. Conceived of the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. Well, verse 12, and this sign—this will be a sign for, to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloth, lying in a manger. This is not how we expected the King of the Jews to come. This is not how they expected Messiah was going to come. I don't think any of you were born in a manger, although I hear some were born in a car. And I was accused often as a child that I was born in a barn. You know, did your mom ever tell you that, where you leave the door open or you're born in a barn? I've been accused of that many times in my life. And I think my children have been accused of that too. But our Savior was born in a manger. And the angel's telling him, this is how you're going to find him. And, and, and I'm, I'm assured that they're imagining and, and they're tempted to say this, surely this cannot be the Son of God. This cannot be the Messiah. Again, foolishness. Here's the point. See, the Gnostics taught that Jesus was just a spirit man. And some falsely believe that, that the Spirit entered into Christ at, at baptism and then He left Him on the cross. He was just a phantom, was just a shell. Uh uh-uh. uh. He's a real man. In fact, John makes that a test. In John, again, the age of John, writing in the epistles to, to bring correction of doctrine because the wolves had come in. And in John 1, uh, 1 John 4, 2, he says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. He had a real body. In fact, he tells the, the, the angel tells the shepherds, Go see. This is where you'll find him. Go look for yourself. And in 2 John 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. He had to come in the flesh to bear the penalty of our sin as a man. It's significant. This is why doctrine and precise doctrine is so important, as Mr. Law tells us over and over again. Well, here's the proof. Go see. In verse 13, and suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. The writer of Hebrews declares this in verse 6 of chapter 1, and again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, notice that, begotten, not created, Christ was begotten into the world he saith and let all the angels of God worship him and they are worshiping him these shepherds are acting upon the good tidings this good news great news great joy and they're watching as the second person of the Holy Trinity takes on flesh and these shepherds which you'll see next week I believe They leave their sheep, just like the fishermen leave their boats, to see Christ. How do we apply this morning these glorious truths? Can I say to you this, first of all, that doctrine matters. You know, there was a time when we didn't... This is my family personally. We didn't do much with Christmas because we thought it was would become a pagan holiday. It was so focused on materialism. And then as, as our doctrine began to change, began to change, we began to study theology and began to see the, these great doctrines. All of a sudden I, I began to see in the Christmas carols, Deep theology. Half the world, as they sing these carols, they have no idea what they're even singing of the deep theology that is in many of our Christmas carols and hymns. And the incarnation, it's not just a cute story about a baby in a manger, it's significant. The virgin birth matters. It's how Christ doesn't have an inherited sin nature like you and I. Why Christ has to take on flesh. Why he has to be crucified as a man. It's significant. We live in a day, we live in an age when so many today are tempted. It's just, it's just the resurrection. or we, we don't need the scriptures. We just need Jesus. Boy, is that a slippery slope. It sounds spiritual, doesn't it? I got into a, 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 a debate with somebody a couple of weeks ago, somebody Close. And error, much error. And his response is, well, they're good people. I understand that. But they're wrong. And do we want unity and forget all about truth just so we can all get along? And we listen, we need to be winsome. We need to not be argumentative. But at the same time, saints, the truth matters a lot. We had our family, we went through the Creation Museum. A couple, we were on our way to NCFIC and we had stopped and went through the Creation Museum and there was a whole busload, And there were mostly elderly saints that were going through the museum and Yeah, Patty and I were behind the lady, and she goes, I don't know what the big deal about all this creation stuff is anyhow. You know, it doesn't really matter. It's all going to just work out in the end. Saints, that's a picture of where the church is at today, and that's a problem. That's why the church is where the church is at today. See, if you throw Genesis out, if you... uh, the creation account in Genesis, you're going to also have to throw out with that the fall of man and the promise of a redeemer. You throw it all out. Truth matters a lot, doctrine matters a lot. We have to get it right. The second thing it was good news. To all the world. But that good news does you no good. Unless you personally apply. You have to personally apply it. It does you no good. Children it does you no good to say. Hey I believe in God. It's all going to work out. I'm a good person. The demons. Believe. Believe. They tremble. Oh, I believe in intelligent design. I believe there's a, yeah, yeah, there's a, there's, I believe somebody's out there. I do. Do you believe in a personal Savior who died in your place? That you're dead in your trespasses? Until you say, I believe. Until you repent, until you change your mind about who you are, that you're not okay, that you have a sin problem like all the rest of the world, that you're guilty in your sin, and you're powerless to change it. You want to. Yes, someday I'll clean up my act. No, you won't. You can't. Any more than a leopard can change its spots. You're corrupt to the core. You're not a little corrupt. You're corrupt to the core. And your problem isn't because your father or this or that or because you put guilt on somebody else. It's because of who you are and what you are. And salvation, how this can be good news to you is to agree with God about who you are and what you are. And to recognize your helplessness to save yourself. And to cry out to God for mercy to save you, and he will. To confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. To believe it in your heart. To believe that your sins were put on him and and he's going to clothe you with his righteousness. Repent and believe. See, you have a personal sin problem. Every person does. How Will you deal with it? God has made a way, and that's what's so glorious about the coming of the Son of God in the flesh. He has made a way for you to deal with sin's power, sin's penalty, sin's presence in your life, and even sin's pleasure. Lastly, do it today. Just as the proclamation came, today is born in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. Believe. Turn with me to one John four fifteen, and I'll wrap up here. Give yourself an early Christmas present. This is the greatest gift anybody could give. God gave it to you and to me. He gave us his son. But you have to receive it. 1 John 4.15 Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God. God abides in him and he in God. And we we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Father, we thank you for sending us your son. Thank you for redeeming us from the curse. Thank you for bearing our sin. Father, thank you for Christ. Amen.